0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Turn to Matthew 13. We're going to look at the second parable of the sermon series, Treasure. The first part, we talked about discovering, and we're going to look at the second part, which is about the merchant and the pearl, as we talk about searching. We talk about searching. So last week, we talked about how Jesus is our greatest treasure who satisfies beyond Measure. And as we talk about searching today, I want to ask, what is something so valuable to you that you would go at any length to find it if you had lost it? What is something so valuable to, to you that you would go to any length to find it, even digging through the garbage? And before we get into huddle groups, I, I just want to show a video because many of us, we, we might have different things in mind. Some of us might be uh, practical like uh, laptops, or things that are very expensive. Uh, Some of it might be like our IDs, our passports. Other of us are a little bit more sentimental. So it would be things like uh, cards that have been written to us, or personal journals, or or diaries that we've kept for a very, very long time, or photos of our family. Whatever it might be, uh, just if you think about losing something very precious to you, there's there's a sense of wanting to get it back wanting to to, to, to find it, and and the more valuable, the more precious it is to you, the more willing you are to go to any length in order to find it. Now, I want to show us a video about someone who lost something very valuable and precious, and you don't have to pull out your wallet right now, but just think about how much money is in your wallet, just for a moment, just think. Maybe 20 Hong Kong dollars, 50 Hong Kong dollars, maybe a little bit more if you're working, Just think about it. If if you lost your wallet, you would be looking for it, not only because of the money, but the IDs and things like that. Well, this video is about a news report of a person who didn't lose their physical wallet, but they lost their digital wallet. So those of you who are into crypto and Bitcoin, you'll know what we're talking about. So let's watch the video together. Yes, exactly. How many people are willing to dig through trash anyway? Well, if it was me, if it was 75,000 Bitcoin, I was doing the math, 350 million US dollars, that's 2.7 billion Hong Kong dollars. What could you do with 2.7 billion Hong Kong dollars? That's crazy. It's crazy. And if you think about it, I mean, yeah, we got to get city center hub right now. Amen. We'd have church sites galore all over Hong Kong. We could do so many things. And when we think about it, he's willing to do whatever. willing to go through the trash. He's been at this for several years. He's still petitioning. And it makes sense. The higher the value it is of something you've lost, the more you're willing to go to the lengths to search for it, to find it, to do whatever it takes in order to capture that thing. And of course, when we, when we overlay this onto our spiritual lives, logically it should be, of course, the more valuable we see Christ, the more valuable we see God in our relationship, the more we ought to search for him or seek for or spend this time. But often doesn't work that way. But if you work backwards, you think about it, what are the things that I spend the most time, the most investment, the most energy searching for, looking for, striving for, And if we work backwards, then we will land on what it is that we truly value. And of course, hopefully it should be God, and that's that's the premise. But the question is, how can we get there? And that's what we want to talk about as we look at this parable, and that's why I want to give us the one thing. The one thing is that Jesus becomes our treasure when we believe that we are God's treasure, that we have to recognize that we are God's treasure for us to realize that Jesus is our greatest treasure And so as we think about how Jesus becomes our treasure when we believe that we are God's treasure, the first thing and the first question that we have to ask, I'm going to ask two questions in the sermon. The first question that we're going to ask is, what are you searching for? What is it that you and I and all of us, what are we searching for? And that's going to help us to reveal or understand what it is that we treasure. Uh, We're going to read Matthew 13, verse 45. I'm just going to start with that first verse, and I'll just read it for us. It says, again... The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So the parable starts out the same way last week. We talked about the kingdom of heaven as well. So the premise of the parable is Jesus telling his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is like what it means to follow him, what it means to live as a disciple of Christ. So for all of us, as we're streaming in, we need to pay attention because Jesus is using this parable to say, this is how your life ought to be. And even if we are searching or still investigating our faith in Jesus, this is going to be important because this is what your life can look like if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So what is the the kingdom of heaven like? And, And the first question is, What did the merchant search for? So we're looking at this parable, and it's talking about the merchant. So what did the merchant search for? Verse 45, it says, he's in search of fine pearls. I want to look at that word search, because that word search means, uh, it's translated in different ways in different translations. That N-A-S-B, is translated as seeking. It's translated as seeking. Look, seeking out something, pursuing something, pursuing a relationship. Some of you are thinking about the relationship seminar. The message translation it means on the hunt, on the hunt. You're pursuing after something. You're 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 doing whatever you can in order to get that target, or yearn for something. And, and oftentimes when we think of a merchant, sometimes it's this idea of someone who's just on the road selling petty wares. It's not that kind of when, when they were describing a merchant in those times. It was someone who traveled across sea, across land, making a long journey, taking months or even years at a time, being away from home, from family, from loved ones in order to trade, in order to make a living, in order to make a fortune, in order to seek distant lands. And so when we're thinking about this idea of searching for something, it's not just a a, a trading and buying and selling that you do just from the comfort of your home, but it requires us to get out get out of our comfort zone, to get out and go somewhere. We see the same word, the word search. We see it in different, trans, uh, different passages, and, and different passages use the word seeking instead to translate it. Several other instances of seeking in the New Testament, John 6, verse 24, and then when it highlights in the yellow, let's read it together. It says, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum. What? What? seeking Jesus. So what do they do? The crowd saw that Jesus wasn't there. He went to the other side, so they got in boats, and it's not like taking the ferry from Central to TST, where you get in the ferry, pay like two Hong Kong dollars, and then the boat moves by itself, and you just get off. No, you, they, they had to manually row the boats. And the, the lake was big, it was far. They had to expire, expend a, a, a ton of energy, a, a half day's worth of a journey just to get to the other side, just to pursue Jesus. So they, they were seeking after Him. They were striving, they were yearning for Him. They, they spent a whole ton of time looking for Him. The next verse, Luke 12, verses 29 to 31. And this is what it says. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to de- drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world... Seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. And what are these people seeking? Food, things to drink. And we're like, yeah, we can just get that food panda, pandemic, order, boop, and it delivers right to your door. No, that's not what he's talking about. In those times, you had to, you had to plow the ground. You had to plant the seed. You had to water it. You had to wait a whole season for the food to grow And then you had to thresh it, and then you had to prepare it, and then make it. And then finally you could have a meal. And of course, you can imagine how people would be worried because you would expend months of time and energy in order to seek for those things, what to eat, what to drink. Do we have that kind of attitude and mindset as we're seeking the things of God? Time, investment, energy, patience, plowing, seeking, desiring, searching for the things of God's kingdom. Luke 17, verse 33, this is what it says. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. What's the point of these verses? It's to help us understand this idea of searching, of seeking, it requires our whole lives. It requires this merchant. He wasn't just kind of going to the quarter market, setting up shop and putting out a couple things and selling it for a couple dollars here and there. He was literally using his whole life, his energy, his resources, everything, so that he could look for something that was valuable, that was precious to him. And, and for many of us, we we're like, this is, this is a little bit different, because I'm not a merchant, and I don't go, Well, this is not too far away from our day-to-day lives. And in fact, I have, I don't know if this is an honest confession, we have, I, I instituted an a, a unspoken rule in our household, and this unspoken rule is that any purchase we make has to go through uh, Pastor Bo's research. <laughs> and uh, this—it started with, I think it started with Christmas cards. And then like, we were making Christmas cards. And then you know, they were, we were talking about, like, where should we buy it from? Because all these different online stores are like, this one is like, kind of expensive. Let's try like 10 different kinds and see which one is the best quality and what's going to be the least expensive. Because I like biggest bang for the buck. Um, and, and it just started with that, and it now it's for everything. All the baby stuff that we try to buy now. And so my, my, my wife will like, hey, how about buying this? And I'm like, OK, let me do some research. So I'll, I'll have like HKTV Mall, Price.HK, Mother Care, Baby Central, Carousel, Amazon. I like look up all these different tabs and do the research. Is this the best product? Are there different brands? Compare from different clothes. So literally, I'm like searching all over the world. I'm shopping on the edge, right? Living on the edge, but I'm like shopping all over these places, looking and spending so much time, energy to try to find the best, the most effective, the most cost-effective, the most, the best quality item for our family in order to search for something. And, I, and it dawned upon me: I was thinking, like, I spend so much time searching for these things. Do I spend that kind of quality time in research and effort? in my relationship with God. And I had to check my heart. And even during this One Desire Fast, one thing I had to tell my accountability and and the people I'm spending time with, I'm fasting from reading reviews, tech reviews, and all sorts of reviews because I know that that's my temptation. That I, I, I just drown, you know, and I end up staying up late night reading these reviews in order to find the best deal. And I realize, like, sometimes even during the One Desire Fast, I'm tempted to look for those things because why? I value something more than God. I'm willing to search. I'm willing to spend all this time and energy to search for those things rather than spending that time to search, to seek God more than anything else. And for us, the question is, what is it that we are willing to spend that time and energy to search for? I mean, is it God? Or do we find ourselves spending time searching for so many other things? You're a student, you're Zooming in with your life group. How how many of us, we spend time planning out our whole college career, semester by semester? I I don't know, I've heard that uh, for many students, um, uh, your schedules, your class schedules for next term are coming out. You're you're, you're planning out your classes, you're looking at your, your grades, you're looking at your major and all the classes you have to take, and you're spending hours you're spending all night trying to put the exact class in the right place. You're like, oh, man, if we're going to be online, I don't want to wake up this early in the morning. I'm going to stay in bed. And you're like, oh, i got to buy, take this, I got to take this class and this pre-work. And you end up spending hours trying to figure out the perfect schedule for your, your classes. <clears throat> and you plan out like, OK, I got this internship in and that, that semester, and i got to do exchange over here. And the, my question is, when is the last time you planned for your relationship with God like that. That you said, by the end of my university career, I want to be this mature in my relationship with Christ. And because of that, I mean I, this year I really want to grow in connecting with God. The next year I really want to learn to disciple someone. So I need to ask for help. I need to learn from someone. I need to intentionally spend time with someone so I can learn how to disciple and share my, my faith with someone else. When's the last time you, you searched for, you 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 desired, you sought after? Something like that. Single working adults, you're, we're, we're implicated too. We make these plans like, okay, I've been, I've been in this company for one year, and I know that in Hong Kong that if I stay in a company for too long, then my salary is not going to increase at the same rate as all my peers. So, okay, this first year, year one, my entry level, all right, I got the salary, great. But, you know, I'm already planning ahead. I've only been in my job for a couple months, but I'm already looking ahead. All right, next year, I've got to find another job so I can get that salary bump. And then I can get that promotion. And then I can slowly work my way up so that I can afford that kind of rent and afford this kind of living standard. But do you have that same kind of plan for your spiritual life? Do you search? Do you seek for God in that same way? The same way, if not more, than the way that you treat your career. Families, is the same for us. With our kids, what do we do? We plan for them. We plan for them. And we're, I mean, Eric and I, I mean, we're, we're like worried because we're like, education, we don't know what to do. We hear about moms who are pregnant lining up for their kids' education. And we're already hearing about people who are, you know, you're, you're already too late. The nursery's already full. And if you haven't lined up by now, your kid's not going to get into the best nursery and it's going to affect their education. We're like, Lord, we need help. We, we, we don't know what to do. And the question is for us. Do we spend the same energy, time, effort searching for our children that we do for our own relationship with God? Our own marriage, not just our, our, our social uh, int- you know, intimacy with one another, which is important. But what about our individual personal relationship with God? Is that a priority? Is our children's relationship with God a priority? More than their education, more than the best schools that they're going to get into. Is their relationship with God, don't, do not Expect building blocks to be the primary mode of discipleship for your children. It is our responsibility as parents to disciple our kids. Do we prioritize that? Do we spend the time, just like the merchant, going to the ends of the earth, spending his whole life and time, everything, in order to seek for God in that way? Let's do that. Let's seek after God. Let's, let's make him the thing that we search after, seek after for, more than anything else. What's the other thing? that we see. Not only the, what does the merchant search for, but we flip this uh, parable around. We, we ask the question, what is God searching for? Because we can look at the merchant as ourselves, or we can look at the merchant as God. What is, what is God searching for in this moment? And, and the question oftentimes, we, we, we get a little bit frustrated because we're like, God, I'm seeking you, and I'm trying, and this one desire fast has been really hard, but I, I just don't sense you. And and if we're honest with ourselves, and even biblically, doctrinally, theologically, we cannot seek God on our own strength, on our own ability. We're not able to. You look at Mark 16, verse 6. This is when the angel is talking to the disciples when the tomb was empty. uh, And he said to them, the angel said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. This is interesting, right? Because, yes, the angel is telling them he's physically not here. He's not in the tomb. He's saying You're seeking him, but you can't. You're not able to. He's not there. And and in many ways, it's it's a revealing of who we are. We cannot, in our own limited human nature, we cannot seek God on our own. We're not capable. We're not perfect. And we're not holy enough. We're not righteous enough. We cannot come into the presence of a holy God. But the good news is that God is also the merchant who seeks after us, who searches for us. He looks for us. Matthew 18, verse 12, he says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains to go in search of the one that went astray? This is amazing news for us, that God is the good shepherd. Jesus Christ he is the good shepherd who seeks after us. He searches for us. He goes over every mountain, looks under every rock, to look for us. He did that in our lives. Think about it. Go back to that moment where you first realized Jesus was your Lord and your Savior. How many of us were like, yeah, I found Jesus on my own. No, we didn't. It was God who found us. And it was Luke 19, verse 10, it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The only way that Jesus can become our treasure is when we realize that we are God's treasure. When we are God's Treasure and this is what Jesus did. He was the merchant. He was the one who left heaven and he came down to earth, the faraway land, the place that he didn't have to go in order to search and to find something valuable. And what did he do? He found his children. He found you and I. But this is the hard part is, yes, we can see. We can believe all that we want. We can believe, yes, God is seeking us and he's, he's searching after us. And yes, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy for like 10 seconds. We're like, oh, I know that. I've heard that before. And still, I don't know if it really stirs my heart to want to seek after him. Well, if you notice in those passages, what does it imply about the person who is being sought after by God? The only way that you're going to treasure God as he's searching after you is if you realize you're lost to begin with. That that one sheep, it was lost. The Son of Man came to seek to save what the lost. And unless we realize we are lost, we are sinful, without Christ, we have no hope, we we have nothing, then we will never cherish a God who is searching after. And think about it. If you were on a deserted island with no water, no food, no social media, no rela- nothing, you would be searching after something so desperately, a savior, a, a boat, a plane, something to rescue you. And then when that plane or when that boat comes along and finds you, what do you do? You rejoice, you're like, I'm so excited, I'm so thankful. Thank you for saving me. You're you're my savior, and I, I owe you my life. But that's the thing is many of us, we don't believe we're here. We don't believe we're lost. We don't believe that we're stranded on an island in our sin. We have no hope. We're separated from God. And no wonder that when Jesus comes into our life, we're like, man, so it's all right. All Halsby in his book, Prayer, he says this well. he says, prayer and helplessness are inseparable. Only he who is helpless can truly pray. Your helplessness is your best prayer. It calls from your heart to the heart of God with greater effect than all your uttered pleas. Helplessness. Many of us, we're fasting and we're getting frustrated. Like, God, I can't hear you. You're praying for a decision. You're like, Lord, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't hear anything. What do you want me to do? And all the while, you're praying from this position of thinking, God, just give me an answer and I'm just going to do it. Or or speak to me, and I'm going to... But you're praying from this very self-sufficient, this place where you think that you're still capable, you're still able, you're still somewhat righteous or able to do things on your own, when God is saying, no, I'm not going to answer you until you come to this place of helplessness. Maybe the reason why searching for God during the one Desire fast is not really working is because we don't really believe that we need to be found in the first place. I want to challenge us. Let's confess that. Let's repent of that. Let's humble ourselves and realize, God, I am lost because that is the reality. We are, we've all sinned fall short of the glory of God. Just because we're fasting doesn't make us any more holy. If anything, we should be realizing how much more sinful we are. That is when God becomes that much more precious to us. And I want to go into the second point. We talked about the first question, which was, what are we searching for? And now we want to finish with the second verse. And the second question is, what are you valuing above all else? What are you valuing above all else? Let's read verse 46 in Matthew 13. It says, and referring to the merchant, who finding on one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It's interesting. So this merchant comes from this place, faraway land, travels and expends <coughs> all this time and energy to search for fine pearls. And he ends up finding one pearl of great, great value. I want to translate that phrase, great, in a couple different translations. In the HCSB, translate that as priceless. It says the pearl was priceless. Priceless means it doesn't have any other peer in value. There's nothing else as valuable. You, you can't even assign a monetary value to it. And, and the message version, it says flawless. It was flawless. There was no imperfections in it. It was perfect. And the New King James Version, it says great price. Something such great price that we can't even comprehend what it, what it means. I, again, I want to give us some other references in other passages that uses the same word, that word great or priceless or flawless or great price to describe the pearl, it describes other things. In John 12, verse 3, it's talking about Mary when she anointed Jesus with the perfume. It says, Mary therefore took a pound of, read it together, expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And uh, I didn't want to put all the whole verse, but afterward, one of the disciples asked, like, why why was this wasted? It could have been sold And it was worth more than a year's worth of wages. Just think about it for a moment. Take your monthly salary, multiply it by 12. Some of you 13, that bonus month. That's how valuable it was. You're like, wow, one thing, your whole year's worth of wages. That's how valuable it was. Students, think think about your whole tuition and your housing included, especially those who live off campus. Like, whoa, that's a lot. It's a lot. That's how valuable, that's how precious it was. First 1 Peter 1:7. 1, Again, that same word. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, read it in the bold or the yellow, more precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this this faith is what? More precious than gold. More precious than the most precious element in that time that they that they anointed they adorned everything with gold in the temple this is the most precious thing and it is more precious than that thing so the, the 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 gravity or the weight or the preciousness of this item this pearl that this merchant found is beyond all understanding and and this is the gospel this is the kingdom of heaven this is what the the, the parable that jesus is talking about this is the king it is so more valuable than anything else that you could ever comprehend and this is the problem is I could be, anyone, myself, Pastor Seth, any of your life group leaders, any of us in the Accountant Bill LCG, we could be telling each other the gospel is so valuable. Kingdom of heaven is so valuable. And we're just sitting here and, yeah, I know. But, anyway, but and there's so many other reasons why. Either we don't agree or we, don't, we, we know it in our heads. We don't really believe it. We don't really feel it deep down. And there are a lot of different reasons. Part of it, we could be jaded over here. Some of us could kind be of like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Others of us can maybe say, oh, yeah, I tried the gospel out, and I was a little bit disappointed because things didn't work out the way I wanted to. But I think really the core reason and what this parable is saying is that the reason why we don't value that thing is because we value something else more. That's the bottom line. The reason why we do not value the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, is because there's something else in our lives that we value more. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, he, he illustrates this. He says, everyone has noticed how hard it is to turn our thoughts to God when everything is going well with us. We have all we want is a terrible saying. When all does not include God, we find God in interruption. As St. Augustine says somewhere, God wants to give us something, but He cannot because our hands are full. There's nowhere for Him to put it. Have you ever thought, just pause for a moment in that quote, have you ever thought about that? Like our hands are so full with these other things, other things that we value, our job, our careers, our family, our relationships, our grades, our priorities, all of it is me. It's about me. No wonder you have no room in your life for God because your hands are so full with yourself, with your own things, because you're valuing yourself and your dreams and your plans that, of course, God is wanting to give us something, but we have no room to hold those things. And he continues on. He says, or as a friend of mine said, we regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It's there for emergencies, but he hopes he'll never have to use it. Now God, who has made us, knows what we are and that our happiness lies in Him. Yet we will not seek it in Him as long as He leaves us any other resort where it can even be plausibly looked for. While what we call our own life remains agreeable, we will not surrender it to Him. What then can God do in our interest but make our own life less agreeable to us and take away the plausible source of false happiness. What C.S. Lewis is simply trying to say, he's saying there's nothing else in this world that will satisfy you and make you as supremely happy, as supremely joyful, as supremely satisfied as himself. And in order to pry our hands out from holding on to all the things of ourselves, then he might have to make our lives a little bit more difficult. So we realize that these things that we're holding on to are not really going to satisfy. No wonder some of us are struggling. No wonder some of us are realizing Christian life is hard. No wonder some of us are realizing as we're fasting that, man, I'm not as great as I thought I was. Or things are not working out in the way that I planned it. My plans for my career and my grades are not working out. God, why? And maybe, God, just maybe, God is trying to say, let go of those things because they're not going to satisfy you. Is not the most valuable thing in this universe. Jesus is. It's because we value something else more. This is why we don't want to give financially. And we could share all we want at the family gathering about our budget and how we just have 26 people who are tied. We could double our budget. We could say that all we want. But unless we realize Christ is more valuable than my budget, my own finances, my own salary then we will never be able to give. We will never see the things that God wants to do in our church because we need resources. We will never want to serve with our time. Experiencing ministry is coming up. Salt community are always, there are opportunities to serve in life group and we will never do that. Why? Because why? We cherish our time more and we're going to miss out on all the opportunities, the blessing. We had, we had two sisters in our One Desire fast encounter Friday night. Those of you who weren't there, you didn't make the time. You missed out on the blessings. Two sisters who received Christ, they shared that they did. And while I was just sitting there, I was like, wow, that's, I, I was just blown away. I was amazed. And those of you who were serving, who were part of I, I'm at my, my IPT, intercessory prayer team, WhatsApp group, was going off the hook. We are like, praise the Lord, the booklet. God used that. And the crew was like, praise the Lord. It is so worth it to print all those booklets and distribute it all over Hong Kong. It was worth it. But those of you who do not invest your time, you miss out on those blessings. Why? Because you're holding on to something else. You're missing out by not serving, by not investing. We don't want to get out of our comfort zone. We don't want to risk failure. And we're thinking about these bigger things like, oh, another church site. Oh, does that mean I have to, that that means I have to get up earlier? Do I have to go somewhere else? A city center, oh, no, I, I, I don't, uh, yeah, well, if, if someone else does it, sure, that's great. But yeah, not me. I don't want to risk failure. I don't, I don't want to put myself out there. And you're going to miss out on the things that God has for you because your hands are so tightly closed. And we complain. Rather than being part of the solution, think about the retreat. Some of us, we are more consumed with, oh, is the retreat going to happen or not? What are we going to do? Social distancing, all that kind of stuff. How many of us, we prayed, said, God, I value meeting you encountering you. I value my life group can experience you together in a powerful way that I'm praying and asking, Lord. Lord, somehow open up the doors, allow us to meet in person, or at the very least, Lord, if it's going to go online, then how can I help? How can I help make my life group experience as best as possible? Let me talk to my leaders. Let me volunteer my home. Let me volunteer my resources so that we can experience this in a powerful way. When do we do that? Why? Because we're so consumed with our lives and our schedule and our plans rather than seeing God, maybe he has something greater for us. The challenge is, how do we let go? How do we open up our hands and our fists? For me, I value self-protection and being competent, looking good. And for so long, I, I struggled with that. But I realized, looking back, it was over many situations. God had to put me in specific situations where my competence would be tested. I could be criticized publicly and privately so that I would have to grow and let go of the control of that in my life. And how did that happen? Yeah, I, was, I, I didn't believe God at some point in my life. And then I joined a ministry team. So there were opportunities I had to fail, and my competence was tested. And then I got more involved in church. And so I kept on doing that. And as I did that, what did God do? God kept on bringing different situations in my life to constantly expose myself to criticism. And, and over time, here I am as a pastor, having to make decisions for the whole church that affects every single person. And if I was still in that same place I was my freshman year, I would have been dead by now. I think I would have been, my my anxiety been through the roof. I would have breakouts all over the place on my face. And I would just be so, like, paralyzed. But it was through slowly letting go, little by little, putting myself in those situations where I had to let go and God was forcing me in different situations to let go, God was bringing other people in my life to challenge me, to point that out, that I started to realize, you know what? It's actually much, much better to trust God with all those things. I want to encourage us. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow process that takes time, but we have to be committed to it. We have to be resolved to say, God, I want to value you more than anything else, and I'm willing to go through the hardship, the trial, the difficult situations that God might put us through, for the sake that we might value Christ more than anything else. More than anything else. The last thing I wanted to share is that, yes, we might be going through these difficult times, but how can we have confidence that Jesus is our greatest treasure, the one value, the one thing more than anything else that we want to cherish? I don't know if you noticed in that verse 46, he says, uh, who on fighting one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So it's interesting. The merchant, he went searching for fine pearls, plural. He went searching for many pearls. But what did he find? He found one pearl. And he went and found that one pearl. What did he do? He sold all the things that he had. And I'm wondering if we realize that oftentimes we are the very, very much the same. We're looking for all these things. But the gospel invites us to say, when you find that one thing that is the greatest thing, then you take all those other things and you trade it for that one. And we're like, God, I know that's what I need to do, but I cannot do that. And the good news is that Christ has done that for us. Christ is the one who was that one man, and he traded his life for all. And it's interesting because Christ is the most valuable, the greatest. The most competent, the most perfect, the most righteous, the more holy, most everything. So if anything, we should be the one trading our lives for him. But he, for some reason, has traded his life for all of us. It is the greatest reversal in all of history. It is the greatest news that we could ever understand or believe. This is Romans 5.15. It says, but the gift of Christ is not like the trespass. The trespass is referring to sin, our sin, Adam's sin, everyone's sin. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? This is the good news, that we could not save ourselves. We should have valued Christ more than any. He is the most valuable, the most important, the greatest, the most weighted, the most glorious person in all of creation. And we ought to give us our whole, God, give him our whole lives. But what did he do? He gave his one life for all of us. When we realize that, when we realize, man, we are so messed up, and yet he's given his life for us all, what can we do but simply then give in response our lives to him? That's my hope and my prayer, that we would then respond, not just by a sinner's prayer, that's cheap. Not just saying at one time, God, I want, I want to, you're my Lord and my Savior, that's, that's good, but saying, God, I want to value you with my whole life. I want to follow you every single day to the ends of the earth and believe that as I value you more than anything else, that you're gonna help me to see how I am your treasure. You treasure me somehow, some, for some reason, we don't know why, but he does. And that will allow us to see the life that he wants us to live. I'm gonna remind us of the one thing. The one thing is that Jesus becomes our treasure when we believe we are God's treasure. Jesus becomes our treasure when we believe that we are God's treasure. I wanna give us some just next steps for this morning, a couple things. First is just recognize how lost you are. Think especially, this is a stereotype, but oftentimes stereotypes have some truth in it. Men, we hate admitting that we're lost. Went to the wrong MTR station, we don't want to admit it. And we're trying to use Google Maps to find it. Admit, just recognize how lost we are. And if we have a hard time doing that, ask someone. You know, oftentimes when you're lost, you don't, you don't want to admit it until you bump into someone and you're like, hey, wh- where, where am I going? And that person says, well, you're actually not in the right place. you got to go in this direction. Ask someone who loves you and cares for you. Ask them, like, am I really lost? What are the areas of my life that I need saving? I need, I need help in. I think this is a great time during ODF to use accountability. Use your smaller groups that you're fasting to the, uh, together and to challenge one another, to keep each other accountable. Second thing is reevaluate your appraisal of God. Just as we appraise diamonds and pearls, just as the merchant probably did that, reevaluate your appraisal—how you value God, how you think about God. Just go back. Some of you might be like, "Yeah, it's been a while," and you have this idea of God as a pearl, but you haven't polished it in a while. Go back to your first love. Think back to that moment that you treasured Christ so deeply. What were, what were those moments? Has that changed in your life? Listen to the testimonies of others. Ask someone to share. Like, what what made you really treasure Christ more than anything else? Ask yourself if you've been truly satisfied by the things that you're currently invested in. And maybe you'll realize, you know what, God is actually so much greater, so much better. Thirdly, regard all other things as rubbish. All other things. You have to actually give things up in order to treasure Christ. Fasting from useless stuff that you shouldn't be doing and it's not actually fasting fasting is actually taking something that you normally need that God has given you like food temporarily in order to say God I want to depend on you more some of you are fasting from like binging on Netflix or other things that you don't actually need you don't need those things so what are you going to do after the fast go right back to them like that doesn't make any sense if those things are not valuable in God's kingdom why go back to them commit to saying God that's rubbish if you committed to, God, I'm not going to be constantly looking at my stocks every 10 seconds during the day, during the fast, why go back to that after the fast? Throw it away. Just commit to God. God, you are, you are much more valuable than my stock options. You're much more valuable than, than my grades. So don't obsess over those. things. Don't go back to it just because we're done fasting. Because it's not really, you're not really fasting. You should actually be denying yourself of those things all the time. So consider, regard all other things as rubbish. And lastly, is just recommit to seeking and treasuring God. Recommit to seeking and treasuring God. Be like the merchant. Go to a place. Schedule in. Look at your calendar. If you don't use a calendar, start using one. And put in a section that says, spend time with the Lord. Do not overwrite. And every time you you go do something else, you make an appointment, whatever, look at your calendar and say, oh, I can't do that right there because I'm supposed to spend this time with the Lord. And I really pray that we would do this this coming week as we finish our our One Desire Fast. And don't only pray for ourselves, let's pray for other things. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.